The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. I have some incredible news. My second book, How to Have Difficult Conversations About Race, is now the number one new release in its category on Amazon. I'm so excited, so excited for this because we've put a lot of work into it and this was risky because as a lawyer who's focusing on negotiation and conflict resolution, talking about race seems for many to be outside of the scope of what I usually do. But again, how are we defining negotiation? We define negotiation as anytime you're having a conversation and somebody in the conversation wants something. And as the podcast is titled, Negotiate Anything, we can negotiate anything. And in my years of doing uh, all of this work in the professional world, difficult conversations about race is something that comes up over and over and over again in the workplace. And there isn't really a, a solid resource out there that blends the fundamentals of negotiation and conflict resolution and effective communication with this particular topic. So it's risky. It is risky to venture in this way, but I'm really excited and encouraged by this early result. So this is not just a win for me. This is a win for you too, because you are part of this tribe. And so a quick note about the book. Who did I write this for? I, I wrote this for the person who is passionate about changing the world and their organizations for the better. The leader who leads a diverse team and the professional who wants to learn how to overcome the hidden barriers that make it tough to connect with people with a different background. So whether you consider yourself an ally or just want to avoid making a critical mistake when discussing race, this book is for you. And for you as a podcast listener, I'm making a direct request. After six years and over 600 episodes of Negotiate Anything, I'm asking for your support in this endeavor to make the world a better place. Our goal of the American Negotiation Institute is to change the world, and this book plays a critical role in making that happen, and we would love to have your support. We have the links in the description of this episode so you can get your copy of How to Have Difficult Conversations About Race. Hello, my friends, and welcome to another exciting episode of Negotiate Anything. This show is produced by the American Negotiation Institute, and with over 5 million downloads and listeners in over 180 countries, listeners just like you have made this the number one negotiation podcast in the world. Hi, my name is Kwame Christian, and I am the founder and CEO of the American Negotiation Institute. Here at ANI, we believe that the best things in life are on the other side of difficult conversations, and we are passionate about providing you with the best content that will help you to make your difficult conversations easier, both at work and at home. Lastly, I want to remind you that we offer consulting and conduct trainings, both virtually and in person, all around the world. Our focus is in three main areas. First, negotiation and conflict resolution. Second, leadership. And lastly, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Check the link in the description below to learn more about how we could work with you and your team. And now, without further ado, let's jump into the interview. Allison, thanks for joining us today. So happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Yes, it is our pleasure, my friend. So how would you get us started by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do? All right. So I'm currently a business school professor. That was not my childhood dream. I started off as a management consultant. I used to work for McKinsey and & Company. And 
long story short, my experience as a consultant just got me really interested in human behavior and the psychology of people. And so I did a, I always call it a quarter life crisis. I did a career pivot early in my career and went and and got my PhD in social and organizational psychology. And that's brought me to all the things that I do today. It's brought me to you. So I'm a business school professor, negotiation and advocacy broadly defined are my real areas of interest. And I do a lot of that work, both with students, but also with professionals on stage or in organizations, trying to bring the science of human behavior, which I love and I'm very passionate about, to help people get up every day and live better and 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 work better. I love this. And listeners, if you have listened to any episodes of the podcast, you know I'm already smiling from ear to ear because we have somebody who is a professor and also a psychology nerd on the show. So this is great. Um, I'm excited for this one. And so today, listeners, we're going to talk about the Swiss Army knife of relationship management, a really, really fascinating concept. So Allison, how about you help us to set the stage when you think about that title that you often use for your, for your keynotes and your presentations. What do you mean when you talk about the Swiss army knife of relationship management? Sure. So, right. We're, we're the same and you and I are the same in lots of ways. And we talk and educate people in this topic of negotiation. But one of the biggest messages I try to impart is that negotiation is just a term for all the give and take that happens in any relationship parent-child, co-parenting, boss-subordinate, peer-to-peer at work, customer-client. And so, the formal negotiations that we do, yeah, we all do those. But the day-to-day life and the give and take is also negotiation. So, I use the phrase Swiss Army Knife of Relationship Management to describe what I think negotiation is. It's a tool for relationship management, just give and take, but it's a multi-pronged, multi-purpose tool like a Swiss Army Knife. So, and this is a dangerous analogy to use because I don't actually own a Swiss Army Knife, but if I did, okay, (laughs) my image of it is it's got lots of tools in it. And if you carry this one compact little tool around in your pocket, then you don't know exactly what the day is going to bring, but you could confront a variety of different challenges and say, I've got the tool for that. So, okay, I have a splinter. I could use the tweezers. Someone gave me a nice bottle of wine. Corkscrew will come in handy. And the idea is that there's not one set of skills that we need to to negotiate. There's a lot of tools. The more tools we have, the more problems we can solve. And not every tool is right for every job. So, you can have a variety at your disposal. You don't need to use them all in every single negotiation or relationship that you're managing. You get to pick and choose. So, what I like to help people do is have as many tools as possible and say, hey, if you can, the more you add to your your collection, then the more prepared you are to know, I don't know what this day is going to bring. I don't know what relationship challenges I'm going to have, but I'm going to be able to work them out through the tools that I have. So, I like that analogy because I think it broadens the lens for people beyond the traditional, we buy and we sell, we sign contracts. Yes, those are negotiations, but the things that keep us up at night are generally not those things, right? They're the informal negotiations that are happening every day. Absolutely. Oh, this is great. This is great. And I, I when, you, when you say this, I, I feel like you've You've had practice saying this before. It's crazy. Isn't that weird how that works? But yeah, this is great. And I love the fact that you stressed at the beginning that this is valuable. This tool of negotiation is valuable in any relationship. And that's what we try to do here with the American Negotiation Institute and the podcast, Negotiate Anything. You know, I gave some serious consideration to calling it negotiate, it, negotiate a few 
transactional things so, you know, <laughs> that didn't didn't really flow. So negotiate anything is what we went with. Right. And it's a good upgrade. it is a, yeah. exactly. And it's a, it's a ubiquitous tool, but I think a lot of times people don't think of it that way. It's, it's very, very limited. And so when you think about, cause again, we have to, let's start with a mindset too. Right. So when you think about the mindset that causes people to think about negotiation in a very limited type of way, what leads to that and what can we do to get over it? Some of it is simply that we are busy people. So we always want to put off anything that doesn't have to be done today. So if I have a conversation that's going to happen in a week, I don't want to think about that today. I'm going to think about that in a week when it's going to happen. And so I think one of the mistakes that people make is thinking the negotiation starts when it actually starts. And then people will encounter difficulty. I don't have a, that person doesn't trust me or I don't have good information. There's data I don't have. And the question, then they, of course, they call you or they call me and they want us to solve that problem. And a question I always ask back is, what were you doing six months ago when you knew this conversation would happen? Well, imagine what data you could have if you had put some effort into that. Imagine the trust in the relationship if you had put some, some effort into that. So, I am a person who uses way too many analogies, but I always think about landing a plane, right? You want a long runway or for takeoff, not a short runway. And so um, what can we do to set ourselves up for success in that relationship, in that conversation, um, but long, long before it starts, because people then are in a rush to do everything, to get the information, to get people on board with their ideas, to build the relationship. And they're like fast, fast, fast. And yes, do we have tools that we can put in the knife, a Swiss Army knife that can help you build rapport in 30 minutes? Sure. Right. We know some, what some of those things are, but it's not as easy as as starting starting earlier. So where does it come from? I think it just comes from the fact that people are busy and they don't want to tackle things till the last minute. And it's only at that point that they recognize, well, wait a second, I could have set the stage for this a lot better if I had just done a few things a little, you know, a little bit earlier. That, this, that's a great description of, of what it is, because I know my, my bias leading into that when I, where I thought you were going to go was just saying that people just in general have a limited perspective. They need to learn more about negotiation to see how versatile it is. And for some that might be the case, but for a lot of professionals, it's, the negotiation, like proper negotiation, effective negotiation is just like effective time management, productivity in general. There are certain things that we know we should do, but we are very busy, which makes it difficult to do those things. So that, that's really great. Um, and I, as you were as you were responding, you probably saw the, the big laugh and grin I had, uh, because for me as, as a lawyer and sometimes here with the deals we do as negotiation consultants, um, people come and they say, hey, you know, we have this deal that we're working on. Um, we've had these conversations and this is where we are. Can you help? I'm like, why? I'm not a magician. Like, I, what, 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 I mean, you had some really bad conversations. You want me to fix this? You could have called me before. Um, but you're, you're right. Understanding the starting point of negotiation, that's something that people often miss. And so I like to describe negotiation as a never ending game of chess. The second you meet somebody, you're constantly positioning yourself for the, the impending negotiation or the inevitable conflict that comes with relationships, right? But it, if you are starting at the starting point of the negotiation, then you are way behind because you're missing out on, on opportunities to position yourself better within the relationship. 
Does your company invest in professional development training? If you believe that your team would benefit from a negotiation workshop, all you need to do is go to our website, fill out the workshop request form, and then we'll set up a time to chat. These workshops are completely customizable and we've done them all around the country. Negotiation and conflict resolution skills are beneficial across all professions, but they're especially useful in procurement, purchasing, sales, sourcing, and contract management. Our calendar is filling up quickly and we even have some workshops scheduled for next year. If you think you might want one, I'd suggest reaching out soon so you don't miss out. Check out the link in the description to learn more. And we will be right back after this. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by HubSpot. More to-dos, less time, and so many tools to keep track of. Doing business can be hard, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You just need HubSpot. Their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this. Higher quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. 100%. So this is why we get along so well. Because first, I use the magician phrase a lot. No one ever wants to call you till the whole conversation has gone sideways. And then they want you to undo it. And I've said that. And the chess, I use the same, I use the same analogy. I also talk about chess and negotiation, liken them together, that you can get the basics in about an hour and you could spend the rest of your life fully dedicated to trying to improve your skills and never run out of things to learn. And that's another reason why I'm very drawn to the topic and you are too is, you know, I, I get the privilege of getting to exist among very, very talented people of all different kinds of industries, educated people, ambitious people, successful people. But um, the the reality is there's always a next level for everybody in terms of negotiation. And when you can find what your next level is, you don't have any shortage of opportunities to use it. Every day, you could be able to put those tools to use. So that's one of the things that inspires me to keep talking about it year after year is because you like chess. No, yes, you. Someone might be here, and you know, one level. Another person might be, you know, uh, you know, approaching grandmaster status. It doesn't mean either of them have run out of things to learn. They always have ways they can think about getting better. Absolutely. And so let's let's talk about this the um the the long runway leading up to these negotiations. So now the listeners are saying, all right, Allison, I have been persuaded. You seem to be good at this persuasion thing. I'm persuaded. So I need to do a better job of setting the stage for this negotiation. So I'm more prepared. I'm in a better position. So for those people who have negotiations that they see coming down the pike, what are some of those things that they can do to put themselves in a position to succeed? So I think it falls into two categories, data and relationships. So I'll start with the relationships one, um, because I think it's a little more more complicated, complex. Um, I mean, we know this basic psychology, right? People do things liking is a real strong basis of influence. It, if, if I like you, you're going to have a much easier time getting a yes from me, whatever it is. And so it, I always want to make that point is people are saying yes to you as much as they're saying yes to the ask. We all know that. But 
in terms of are we doing everything we can to make sure that this relationship is as deep and strong as it can be by the time I need to make the ask. And so you, I always say, if you have to write an email to somebody and it starts with, I don't know if you remember me, but you have clearly (laughs) mismanaged your relationship over time. I always say like, just don't write that, please. Either fix it first or just go in with the hopes that they remember you. Because as soon as you've said that, it's a big flag to, I've done a bad job at this. Um, but the idea is, have I done everything to create that that relational capital? I want to sit down across the table from somebody and I know that that person likes and respects me and thinks that I have done right by them. And if all of those things are true, I know that whatever ask I'm going to make, it's not a guarantee I'll get a yes, but I have put to your point, you're not a magician. Your job is not always to produce a yes. Your job is to create the the circumstances that say, if a yes is possible, I have done everything I could to make that happen. And the relationship piece is one of them. But that takes time, right? That's the idea of you want to call somebody and you need a favor and, oh, I haven't talked to them in two years. Well, you know, how am I going to, you know, put something nice in this this email when I send it, send it off to them with the request. So that I think is one is if I had more time, I would spend it building relationships. And specifically, we think about specific tactics. I would say relationships exist in reciprocity. You do for me, I do for you. Um, I'm a big believer in what I call the small deposit. So, you know, a, a giving without explicit expectation of reciprocity. But because the gift is small and easy to give, it doesn't really matter if you reciprocate ever. It certainly doesn't matter if you reciprocate today. And if I can do a lot of those small things over time, I can create without a lot of effort or expense or time on my own, a a depth of relationship that you think positively of me when I, I, you know, I sit, I sit down. So, so you're on social media. I'm recently on social media. It was a COVID project of mine. Previously, I had used LinkedIn solely as an address book to track people that I you know, used to be in contact with. But I said, I'm going to try this posting thing. And someone said something to me that, that only resonated once I got on social media. They said, every time you put a post out there, it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter how expert you are in the topic. It is a moment of vulnerability. I'm putting that thing out into the world. What's someone going to think about that? And the second you see that someone has liked it and put a thumbs up on it, you get that instant, oh, they liked my post. And you feel a connection to them. Well, how hard was that for them to do? They did it with their non-dominant hand while they were driving, okay? And that thumbs up was could not have been easier for them and meant something to you. And if someone shows up in that way, right, they say, thinking of you, right? I text you something and I, I, I saw this in article. I thought you would be interested. Those are examples of things. How do we build relationships through small deposits? So, um, is it on social media? Is it by making an introduction to somebody? Is it by passing along a piece of information you thought was interesting and you already had the information anyway? You read something, you saw something, easy things. So I think those are examples of things that we should be doing because the reality is, right, you and I haven't, we have we have negotiated in a bit, right? When are we going to do this? Are we going to do this? So yeah, we have a relationship, but I haven't had to come to you and make a big ask in our relationship. I don't know if I ever will, but if the if the investment is small, then I know that, hey, there's a circumstance. I don't know it exists yet. It's not going to exist for a year, but a year from now, I'm going to need you for something. I'm going to need to make an ask. And wouldn't it be nice if the time that that happened, right, I had already used that time to invest in that relationship. And the, But the only way I can do it with enough people is if the investments are very easy 
easy to make. So I think that is one that if you have more time, you'd use it. I think the second one is data, which is you. if we always had perfect information about what the other person wanted and could do and would do and, and you know, their constraints, negotiations would become just simple math problems. They'd be very easy. They are hard because we lack information generally about the other parties that we're talking to. But a lot of that lacking information is simply because we didn't go searching for it. We just assumed it didn't exist or we didn't have time to go look for it. So I always say, if what would you want to know about this other party that you think would it give you an advantage in a negotiation? Okay. Well, if let's assume you had enough time because you started earlier. How could you go about getting either that information or the best approximation of that information? Right. Who else could you talk to? Um, do you know somebody who knows some who knows them who could give you um information? Do you have other people who are in similar situations as that as that party? They'll talk to you more frankly because they don't see you in opposition to them in a negotiation. So they'll give you information more freely, but you got to find them and you got to get them to talk to you. All of that takes time. So I think those are the two big things that we can do with our time is, is build the relationship and get better information, which is, I think, the two things that I hear. I'd be curious to hear about with your expertise. The two things I feel like negotiators claim more that they struggle with more than anything, right? They don't have a strong relationship. They don't trust. They don't like each other or they don't know anything. And if we can solve, we can solve both of those better with time. Absolutely. And it, it reminds me of my, uh, my a quote that I like. It's a, a Chinese proverb. They say the best time to plant a seed is 20 was 20 years ago, but the second best time is right now. Right. And so I know a lot of listeners are probably like, oh, my gosh, that negotiation <laughs> that's tomorrow. I should have started six months ago. Right. It's OK. Listen, now the time to start is now. Right. And I, I just to do a quick synopsis here, we have number one, gather information gather data. And then number two, make deposits into the relationship and build the relationship. And it's so smart. And, the, and I like how you simplify the process too, because again, with, with putting it in um, triggering reciprocity by adding value to the relationship, it doesn't take a lot. Cause I think when people were listening, they might've said, Oh, I need to send a gift. I need to write a handwritten letter and everything like that. And I think sometimes we set the bar so high that we decide I'm not even going to try to meet that bar because it's so high, but just a simple positive interaction, that's enough. And I think that's really, really powerful, especially when you're trying to do this with multiple people and then just reverse engineering it, the data that you want to collect. What do I want to know? How do I find that? <laughs> Let me go find that. That's great. And so going deeper into thinking about negotiation as a never-ending game of chess, we have to realize that sometimes the information that we want exists only within the confines of their minds. I cannot Google how you feel. <laughs> you know, that's not how it works. And so again, thinking about it um, with a long-term perspective, there might be some information that you would be willing to give me at this time when there's nothing at issue, when a negotiation isn't on the horizon, where they don't think, oh, Kwame's angling for something at this point. It's more, it's easier for them to be vulnerable when there's not a conflict at hand. So I think I just really want to, to hammer home how simple and profound and doable the advice that you gave just was. And I, I mean, 100% agree with you. I also agree with the idea of the second blessed time to plant the seed is now because yes, I, you know, I, I do when people call me and they say my conversations tomorrow, I don't just say you should have called me six months ago and hang up on them. Right. <laughs> I say, okay, I, yes, I wish you did. And next time maybe you will, but you still have tomorrow and I will still help you. So what can you do with the time that you have? 
And that's 100% the case. And we build rapport in interactions as well, right? You can sit down with a stranger on an airplane or in a professional context. And at the end of 30 minutes, you feel like you like and trust that person. It can be done. You just don't have as many tools in the Swiss Army knife when you're starting, when you're starting at the moment. My favorite in the moment is similarity and in terms of making sure that we um, are, are are highlighting the, the genuine similarities that exist between people. Because if we think, you know, as psychologists, we know the greatest basis of liking and attraction that psychologists have ever found is similarity. So birds of a feather flock together is empirically true. Opposites attract, not so much. So how do we create the perception that we are similar? And sometimes in certain kinds of negotiations, right? It's our differences that are bringing us to the conversation because otherwise we wouldn't need to be talking about it. So how do we then use similarity as a very specific, as very specific tool to be able to, um, uh, to create that trust and rapport when you say I have 10 minutes. And that's why how we, how we artfully use our small talk before business starts to create rapport and figuring out ways that, that, that people um, have things in common. So I always say to people that what we know from psychology is the similarities don't have to be related to the co- the conversation at hand. They don't have to be work related. They don't have to be very significant um, for them for them to work. So I do a lot of speaking in in the in all the branches of service of the military, U.S. military, and. When I was talking about this, one of the generals said, this is why I have pictures of my kids on my phone. He said, because it does not matter what country you go to for all the differences between the U.S. and that country and all of the distrust and animosity there may be. You know, one thing is true. If the person you are talking to has children, they think their children are fantastic and they would love to tell you about them. And so he said, even when you sit across somebody and you think, I have nothing in common with this person, you do. And if you can bring that up into the conversation in a genuine way, and who's not genuinely excited to talk about their kids, that's why those conversations always go well, you can create a sense of similarity. So for people out there and saying, yeah, Allison, okay, my conversation's tomorrow, I would say start with using your chit chat to highlight the points of commonality, the similarity between you, even if they are a shared love of a, of a, a sitcom or a shared hometown or kids or whatever it is. Yeah, this is great. And, and as you were telling um, that story about the the gentleman in the military and the, he said, the reason I have pictures on my phone of my kids is for this strategy. You know, the, the first thing I thought of was, man, he doesn't like his kids that much if that's the only reason. Um, but, <laughs> but I think it, I think it's a really great point because you're, you're absolutely right. And I, I think just, I don't I can't refer to a study that substantiates this, but I'm thinking about the the fact that if we are connecting on and we're finding similarity on things that are not at issue, that are not germane to the negotiation, I think that's actually preferable because I think other people might think, oh, yeah, Kwame's angling for something. This is this is going to parlay this into some kind of fancy negotiation technique, but it puts their guard down. It's like, oh, yeah, the, the only reason he's talking about this is to connect, you know, and. And I think that's that's really powerful. A hundred percent. And when you said about the kids, the 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 dad with the pictures on the phone, a big thing I'm a believer in is you can be authentic and strategic. Those do not represent opposites. Absolutely. And so the idea of yes, I can talk about things that I'm genuinely excited about, and at the same time, no 
because I'm a, I'm a I'm a sophisticated influencer, know that bringing them into the conversation is rapport building. And a lot of people do this artfully. They don't have the science of why it works, but they they know and they naturally can do this, can make people feel that that connection. Oh, yeah, 100%. And I, I'm with you on that because that's what I do. Have you noticed how many pictures of my kids I've been posting recently? I've seen a few for sure. Oh, yeah. And I love I mean, it. They're... I'm the same. They are so much cuter than me. I'm going to leverage that all day, you know, and, and I love them. <laughs> you know, so it's the best of both worlds. So you're right. Authenticity and uh, st- uh, I almost said strategy. That's so funny. Isn't, isn't that an SNL skit right. and strategy? You put those two things together. It's a, it's a match made in heaven. And then Absolutely. also one of the other things that you could do, and this, I got this from my buddy, Brian Ahern, who's been on the podcast a number of times. And he says, one of the keys to being likable is to find things that you like in other people. And so I thought that was really interesting because even if you're, you're it's a tough negotiation, um, you might be upset about what the person did, those type of things. You can, if you are creative enough and you know enough about the person, there is some element of that person that you can like or admire. And all you need to do is point that out and let them know that you see that. That makes it easier for them to reciprocate and see something positive in you as well. Could not agree more. And I'll add a little, a little corollary to that, which is while you're doing that, don't spend any time talking about how great you are. So there's a there's a great set of data that I, I will often refer back to that there are a variety of things in negotiations that are that are triggers that when you do those things, you destroy the relationship, you, you destroy the trust. And some of them are very much about admonishing other people. And most of us know that we shouldn't do that. So we're careful to avoid those. But one of the triggers is self-praise. So it, yes, I should be praising you, but anytime I praise myself, my own behavior is being superior in some way. I I also have the unintended effect of, of, of weakening the relationship between us, damaging it. So an example would be, this is a really fair offer or a generous offer. If I say that to label my own offer, right? I have now just praised myself and we have a really, we can see it in the science, which is the best, um, the average negotiator for an hour of speaking time will praise themselves about 11 times an hour. And the best negotiators do it, not exactly zero, but close to zero, like twice. So I would say the corollary, find something you like in the other person, that, that's amazing. And then in addition, while you're doing that, eliminate all the words that praise you. I always say it's good to be fair, generous, honest, reasonable. You don't get any credit from calling yourself those things. So orienting <laughs> all the good words toward the other person is so much more effective. And it's not, and we, it's not just a nice thing to do. We actually see the empirical results. You get better results that way. It's so funny. In my mind, I'm imagining a listener who's listening and, and preparing, oh, I have a negotiation in three months. I'm going to write the script right now. And as they, they're just crossing out the reasons why I'm awesome. Oh no. Okay. I'm not going to say that anymore. Right. But you're, you're so right. It's, it's one, one of the things that I realize about ego and, um, arrogance is that if you seem arrogant and you're trying to constantly puff yourself up, the other person takes it as not just you puffing yourself up, but lording your superiority over them, right? People don't like that. And so what they do is that it, it 
they reciprocate in a negative way where they say, all right, you know, you think you're so great. Let me remind you of why you're not that great. And it makes them pull you down. And then speaking about the offer, this is a fair offer. This is a generous offer. Now the person's saying, well, let me find all the ways that it's not. And let me bring that up too. And so a lot of times what we're trying to do, it, it leads to the opposite outcome. It's exactly right. And to give you a specific example, um, uh, I reside in Chicago and a a few years ago, uh, just before COVID, the Chicago public schools had one of their longest running teacher strikes. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of... um, in addition to kids not being educated, a lot of other challenges that happen, right, when schools are not in session. So you have uh, kids who are are left home alone. You have kids for whom schools are, are a main source of the food and nutrition they get. You have uh, even things like sports. When your school isn't in session, it doesn't matter that you made the state playoffs. Your school's not in session. You don't get to go. So there's all these far-reaching effects. And the mayor and the teachers union were negotiating. And as a resident of the city, you would hear the reports of the, of the, story, of the stories. And the mayor, you can find this online, the, uh, the mayor wrote the teachers union a letter after the strike had gone on for a prolonged period, basically saying, we haven't agreed on everything, but let's get the kids back in school while we talk. So it's a negotiation. The letter basically outlines a variety of ways in which kids in the community are suffering by not being in school. I found the points compelling. Oh, yeah, all these things. True, true. Long letter. And at the very end of the letter, the mayor's last sentence is, I hope you will agree to this very reasonable request. And Twitter exploded, which is how I first learned that the letter had been written. And it was reasonable. Who says reasonable? And so you can imagine, right? There's a, this has to be a thousand word letter. And the one word that everyone seized on wasn't any of the points. It was this idea of reasonable requests, right? And what that they heard in that last sentence was, I am right and you are wrong. I thought you could rewrite this whole letter. You take out the word, yeah, again, to your point, you scratch it out with pen. I hope you will agree to this request. And it changes the entirety of the message with a single word. And when I saw that and I saw the reaction and I, I just thought it's, yeah, it's so predictable and you would think this can't possibly hang on the use of a word. But the word does exactly what you said it does, which is, is it conveys this idea that you think you're right and I'm wrong and that I will not stand for. And therefore, I actually don't care anymore whether or not I hurt myself. My main goal is now hurting you and showing you how unreasonable you are. And then, you know, it develops from there. So. Yeah. It, oh, so I was cringing. I knew, I knew something bad was coming, <laughs> coming down, but you're, you're so right. And I, there's this great book called, called words that work. And then the tagline, it's not what you say, it's what they hear. And this is, that story is just a great example. And again, if you give yourself time to prepare, then you don't make these mistakes as frequently. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, this is great. This is great. Um, I, I could talk to you forever. I wish, you know, something that would be helpful is if you had like a book or something like that. Have you ever thought about writing a book? Well, I have. I tried to model myself after you in all the ways. Um, <laughs> and congrats, by the way, on yours uh, is just a tremendous accomplishment. I'm very, very Thank excited you. to 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 be able to read it. Um, so I'm in the works. I'm, I'm, I'm following in your footsteps. I am um, under contract for a book and writing it right now. Uh, it's oriented uh, toward women. Uh, and I do a lot of my negotiation advocacy work is about trying to help women in this space because 
we know from the science, women are every bit as good of negotiators as men, but they do have some unique challenges and struggles. Some are internal and some are just how, how the world, you know, perceives women um, that, that lead to uh, some specific advice. So I love that audience. It's obviously it's something I care deeply about. So the book is oriented toward women broader than negotiation and influence specifically, more just about um, uh, how do we show up as as competent and, and likable and that we see women around us doing all, all of that uh, all the time, yet it feels elusive for us a lot of times as we struggle day to day. So what's the science of, of how we do that? So it's it's in the works. And hopefully when I get closer to it, actually having what you have, which is the beautiful cover and the hard copy book and the photo of me next to my book, you'll have me back and we can talk about it in 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 specifics. But yes, it's in the works. Absolutely. Yes, we will certainly have you back. And hopefully before that, too, this was great. I really appreciate it. And before you go, can you let the listeners know about your company, how they can get in touch with you and how they can work with you? 100%. So I'm on LinkedIn. My kids call it my nerd social media when they see me posting on there, which I thought was amazing. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. You can connect or follow me there. I love to to, to build that community. Um for Gail is thankfully not a very common name, so I'm easy to find. And then um, I have allisonforgale.com, which I talk about some of the professional development work I do, my research as an academic, um, things like that. So those would be the two ways that people could could get in touch, and I hope they do. Perfect. Allison, really appreciate it, my friend. Thanks for joining us. I appreciate us. you. Thank you. Congratulations, you've just joined an elite club. By listening to a full episode, you're now officially on the Negotiate Anything team. So welcome aboard. What most team members do is they subscribe to the podcast because that allows them to automatically get the latest episodes of the show. The best things in life lie on the other side of difficult conversations. Keep learning, keep practicing, and keep getting better. Your relationships will improve, your career will soar, and you'll have the confidence you need to get the most out of these crucial conversations. Again, thank you for joining the team. We're excited to have you and I will see you in the next episode. I'll catch you later.